Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome in Hokies fans to this edition of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We record on Monday, October 17th as Virginia Tech tried to make a rally late but ended up falling against Miami on Saturday inside Lane Stadium. On episode 264 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, we're going to look back at some of the good things the Hokies did late but why they fell short against Miami, where they can go heading into the bye week, and as always, we'll have our ACC power rankings for the week. All of that and much more coming up on episode 264 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, which starts right now. Welcome into episode 264 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. However you are listening or if you are watching on our YouTube channel, if you are, be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. And turn notifications on so you know when the podcast goes live every single week. If you are in the live chat, also leave a question or comment for Chris and Will or Chris and David who will be on later. And we'll get to those with Katie at the end of the show. want to remind you that this edition of the Tech Sideline Podcast is sponsored by First Bank and Trust Company. Who you choose to bank with can make all the difference in your overall experience. First Bank and Trust Company is the bank that puts you first. Visit www.firstbank.com to learn more. Let's quickly introduce everybody on set across the way. For the first half of the podcast is founder and general manager of Tech Sideline, Will Stewart. To my right, lead analyst and columnist, Chris Coleman, who is making a short trip back from his stint with Pat Narduzzi as his personal trainer. Mm. <laughs> and he is it's on with us. <laughs> uh, Check out Chris's article yesterday if you don't understand that one. Uh, in the fourth chair, Katie Adams is on set today. Behind the scenes, we got a good crew. We got Carter Hill, who is working as our best podcast producer in the land today. Geo Heater also helping out behind the scenes, and David Cunningham will be on the show later on. Will, before we get started, I know you had some things to say in over uh, across the way. <laughs> yeah, not about tech football. I have some house cleaning for the podcast. Uh, number one, we're having Justin Mutz on tomorrow, Tuesday, the 18th at 3.30. Um, that one will not be live because when we do coach and play interviews, we just record them and then post them later. So uh, look for that coming up uh, late tomorrow. We're very excited about it, that. He's going to be awesome. Yes, we are going to talk about the poster deal. And yes, we are going to activate the poster ordering link one more time. Um, Justin signed 750 posters. There's still about 200 of them, of them available. So we're going to push sales one more time and then uh, um, see how that goes. Hopefully we'll move a lot more of them. Uh, item number two is we are moving to Spotify, specifically Spotify's megaphone platform. We've been on SoundCloud, what is this, episode 264? 264. We've been on SoundCloud the entire time. And I think I know what I'm doing here, and I think this is going to go well. I think if you listen to us on Apple and Spotify and stuff like that, I think it will still propagate from megaphone to where you are used to listening. Uh, based on the research I've done and some config configuration stuff I've done. But that's cool. We're excited about that. Uh, you know, SoundCloud's really more of a music platform, so we're happy to be going over to a podcast platform. But if you have trouble finding the podcast, I guess you won't be listening to this, so nothing I can say will help. <laughs> <laughs> and lastly, 
Congrats to Mr. Jake Lyman for uh, landing a full-time job. Jake, tell us all about it for people who haven't heard. Uh, so I will be heading to Nashville in about two weeks uh, to be the voice of Vanderbilt women's basketball. So that that I'm, I'm excited for that. Love Nashville, and uh, it'll be cool. Andrew Allegretta's out there for all the Hokie fans who know he was the voice of women's basketball and baseball here for a while, and now he's the voice of Vanderbilt football. So it'll be cool to go work with him and, and work with Vandy women's basketball. And you're a Titans fan? And uh, Yes, big Titans fan. So uh, that, that works out. I hope Tech and Vanderbilt play in the NCAA tournament. I know. It was, so you on one <laughs> sideline, Evan Hughes on the other sideline. Both of, both, both of our podcast hosts uh, for a couple of years would be uh, going head-to-head in an NCAA tournament. That would be I, amazing. I love it. Vanderbilt, They, I mean, they went to the NCAA tournament 30 years in a row at one point, but wow. haven't been back since 2014. So hopefully yeah. maybe this is the year and we can be 12, 13 seed range. And if Tech's a four seed, maybe we can make it happen here in Blacksburg. Well, maybe you can change their trajectory. So uh, <laughs> the sports media and analytics program is so smoking hot right now that they're hiring people before they even graduated. I know. That's right. right. So you, you're, yes. you're working on your one last class right now, right? Yeah, so I have two classes right now. One's completely online, so that won't be an issue. I have to make a trip back here for a final exam in my other class in December. But uh, outside of that, yeah, I'm finishing up my degree. I'll walk at graduation in December and, uh, you know, have 10 or 12 games under my belt with Vanderbilt at that point. So That's very cool, man. So you'll have one more podcast left with us? Next week? He's got or, this week and next week okay. yes. before he leaves. So I'll be here for NC State preview probably early next week. Yeah. yeah. And then I'm, I may be here for NC State recap too. I don't think I'm leaving until after Halloween. So we'll, we'll work on that. So okay. until Vanderbilt mucks it up and calls you and says, hey, can you come early? But, <laughs> yeah. you know, we'll deal with that when it happens. <laughs> yes. Uh, but at least one more. This is not my last podcast. So yeah, I'll, awesome, I'll be on man. next week. Yeah. So thank you for that. Uh, very excited. And, you know, we'll have Katie back on here and she'll, she'll get to run the show for uh, the recaps as well, uh, which will be fun. Let's dive into the recap. Uh, Virginia Tech falling 20 to 14 to Miami on Saturday inside Lane Stadium. Uh, 20 to nothing, Miami heading into the fourth quarter, but the Hokies tried to make a run, came up close, almost got the ball back with a chance to go score a touchdown and win the game. Uh, let's start with the historic penalty day for Miami. <laughs> Tech really couldn't take advantage. Second most penalty yardage, yardage against Virginia Tech in program history 17 for 159 yards. It We've seen the Hokies do the opposite and give games away with penalties, but this one kind of served up to them, and they just couldn't take advantage of it. The odd thing is, like Miami, I believe I read, was the least penalized team in the ACC. I saw you say that on the message I think I read that somewhere. That doesn't sound like them, David said that's correct. Wow. Yeah. That does not sound like Miami. That doesn't sound like them, (laughs) but but it's uh, one of those things where you think maybe you fix some issues at Miami, and then a new one pops up. That actually frightens me if Mario Cristobal is actually having them commit fewer penalties in general. Right, right. You know, that, um, that, that's not good. That doesn't bode well for the future. Yeah. That, are they going to be more disciplined under him? I don't, yeah. Well, you know, if I was a Miami fan, I'd come out of that game saying, like, if you cut the penalties in half, we would have beat Virginia Tech by two or three scores, yeah. which is probably accurate. But from a Virginia Tech perspective, I mean, Miami gave it to him on a silver platter and Tech just – I handed it right back and said, here you go. No, we, we insist you win. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sitting here and I'm looking at the, the top 10 all-time number of penalties against Virginia Tech. Uh, excuse me, by Virginia Tech opponents. Yeah. Uh, since 1987, Damian Salas has a searchable database. And so I went in and I said, most penalties by an opponent in a game, and it searches all the way back to 1987. 
The record is 18 penalties, and you'll never guess who committed 18 penalties against the Hokies. Miami. Miami. What year was that? That was 1992. Um, oh, and that, yeah. Not yeah. that it mattered. They still won. They did. They 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 were number one in the country, and I remember they came in and they they curb stomp Tech. They they beat the final score was forty three to twenty three, but they led at one point like forty three. It was the three. only game in nineteen ninety two that wasn't close. Yeah, yeah, it was. Well, it, that's true. And I remember Bill Ross saying after the game, "Well, that's the most points scored against Miami all year," and you know it was it was their backups. <laughs> yeah. um, so eighteen in nineteen ninety two, the seventeen this weekend. So the two biggest Tech lost. So what's interesting about this top 10 list is Tech lost five of them. Yeah, wow. five and five. Yeah. Wow. And and so I'll just, I, I won't give you the numbers, but it's Miami, Miami, Boston College in 2001. I don't recall that. Florida State in 1988, and they won 41 to 14, even though they committed a bunch of penalties. North Carolina, North Carolina, North Carolina, Miami, <laughs> Cincinnati, and Liberty. When Liberty beat Virginia Tech, no, wait a minute. Virginia Tech won 36-13. Liberty committed 13 penalties that day. It's a 2016 game. Gotcha. So anyway, I, I just thought I'd put that in historical context. Miami's got the top two spots, and Tech actually lost five of those 10 games. And that's on your Twitter, I believe, right? Yeah. At, at yep. Will Stewart TSL, if you want to see the, the full spreadsheet on that. 65 of those penalty yardage came in the fourth quarter, and that's really when the Hokies kind of started to get it going. That one scoring drive with the unsportsmanlike conduct, I believe, and then uh, pass interference call. They they started to take advantage of it, but it was just a little too little too late. They were uh, getting a little physical on the outside, and like I don't know why, because Tech's receivers haven't shown the ability to beat people down the field. Like like so, don't give them an easy out there, (laughs) right? Um, I I guess. uh, I think Miami in the first half, they probably cost themselves points with penalties, and then they helped Virginia Tech score a little bit in the second half too. And then Virginia Tech had another chance to score with uh, about seven minutes left when they were driving, but the the, the pass out into the flat was incomplete. Um, but it, it's frustrating. Like I thought it was a game Tech would have a chance to win. And I we were right. I didn't think it. I didn't think that after three quarters. Right. Now, uh, I, I think at that point you're sitting there thinking, okay, it's a good chance the shutout streaks coming to an end. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought, it, and then all of a sudden, you know, they woke up a little bit with some Miami help. Um, I, I think the discouraging thing for me was Miami's one of the worst defenses defenses in the country in terms of big plays allowed, and Tech just couldn't generate any big plays at all, and we were encouraged by the offensive performance at Pittsburgh, but we also said, did we turn the corner or was it a one-off? Yeah. And if this, after, after Saturday, it looks more like a one-off. At this point, and it's not just the offense, it's the defense too. At this point, you just don't know what you're going to get. Like after the win over Boston College, I remember writing, okay, now I see hopefully how this is going to go. They're going to have a defense that is good enough to keep them in games. Virginia Tech is and get some opportunistic offense, try to get some turnovers, the stuff that happened in the Boston College game. And since then, the offense has been so mostly down. I mean, we know the statistics. They're, they're, they're not a good offense. Um, as a matter of fact, through seven games, they're averaging 19.1 points per game. And that – now, it's through seven games. Season's not over. But that is the lowest number of points per game since 1989. I've, I've got the yep. chart I, I've done out. I don't have it in my head. Frank Beamer's first three years, Tech scored fewer than 20 points a game. It was 18 and a half, 16 points a game, and 18 and a half. 
Then they got over 20 in, in year three, and they were above 20 points a game after that and all the way through Fuente's tenure. So this is the first time Tech has dropped below 20 points a game since 1989. And this is an era where teams score more points. Yeah. Right. Um, so like 19.1 points per game now is probably like 15 points per game in, in the 1980s. Yes, I, I think that's fair. And that, that would be, I'm not going to have the time to run those numbers for my Monday article, but that'd be an interesting study to do. And for uh, inside the numbers last week, I did a historical study of tech and some advanced stats like the FEI uh, metrics and then the available yards, which I think are better indications than total yards of how effective offenses are. And uh, this is the lowest ranking Virginia Tech offense in both of those categories ever. Yeah. Like, uh, Ever since the ever since advanced stats started being tracked, this offense is at the bottom. Uh, but again, you know, five games left. They've got they've got time to turn it around. But like, it's only going to get turned around, but so much at this point. Yeah, so. and and I got a feeling we're going to spend a lot of time this podcast talking about the offense because some of the stuff Price said was mm-hmm. interesting. Yep. But you know, we we talked about in the preview podcast, and I think I said this on on Rick Watson's radio show Friday. I said, you know, the hope is that Miami will give you your opportunities. They'll blow coverages. And the hope is that Tech can get the receivers behind the defense maybe two or three times in the game. And Grant Wells, whose accuracy has been spotty, maybe he'll throw accurate passes and Tech will pick up one, two, three cheap touchdowns. And sure enough, early third quarter, you know, you had Dwayne, Daywan Lofton running down the sideline wide open. And Grant Wells made a great throw. He was under pressure on the run. Slung it, dropped it right in there, and and Lofton dropped it. And, and I mean, at that point, it was it was twenty to nothing. Uh, so so the the mental exercise I went through that almost Tech wound up that was a third down, so Tech had to punt. Mm. So that literally cost them a touchdown. Um, and you you're like, well, they lost twenty to fourteen. And then the the counter argument to that is, well, if Tech had scored on that play, the rest of the game would have gone differently. I'm not so sure because what happened was. Lofton dropped the ball, Tech punted, and Miami took over on their 24. If Lofton catches the ball and scores, Tech kicks off, and Miami takes over on their 25. And maybe it is the same game from then on. So, uh, painful. You know, Miami opened the door and said, here. And like you said, Tech said, nope, take it right back. Missed opportunities would be the story for the Hokies in a lot of places. I think we can start on the first drive of the game. You get a nice run from Malachi Thomas to start off the drive and then hit Daquan right over the middle. It looks like Hokies are going to drive, ball pops out, and then Miami, what, four plays later is in the end zone? Even after Miami scored, I'm like, well, you know, know, the offense looked good on the first drive. Yeah, just go out there and keep it going. Sucks to give up that touchdown. Just don't fumble again. We'll be okay. Yeah. And then after a while, you're like, ooh, maybe not so much. (laughs) And then two and a half quarters later, they still got like 102 yards of offense total. I think it was 118. Like 40 of which came on that first possession. Oh, exactly. Exactly. It was was the three and out show. Um, Nothing was was working at all. Um, And it just seems – now, I will say, again, Miami's played their two best defensive games of the season on the road. They seem to get more mentally locked in when they play on the road in front of a, a good atmosphere. And uh, it's amazing down the stretch when there weren't as many people left in the stadium and there was no atmosphere anymore that, or that you know, Tech finally started playing well. Just kind of strange. But anyway, uh, I, I don't know what you can do about the offense at this point, but 
<laughs> we're gonna have to talk about this for five more games yeah um so do you want to segue into you you know if you want to um i have not seen uh prize uh i haven't seen the video of his comments it's but it, they're all within the it's a nine or ten minute interview post-game interview yeah. and it's on uh hokey sports athletics youtube page he said some things that you found interesting mm-hmm. he used the word vanilla uh, um, yeah, uh, he talked about getting the best players on the game who could make the plays that are that are needed. It's not the first time he's uh, he's done that. Um, he did it several weeks ago, and nobody noticed really. And uh, so when I when uh, David was covering basketball last week, I, I went in and took David's place at, on Wednesday interviews, and I asked Pry about generating big plays against Miami because they're susceptible to big plays, and and he he mentioned how he said Tech needs to get more creative. He said that before the game. And then after the game, he didn't say the Tech offense is vanilla, but he used the word vanilla when talking about the Tech offense. Yeah. And he started off in a sentence that he stopped and then made the vanilla comment. But he started a sentence where it was like he was trying to say, I'm a former defensive coordinator and I'm looking at our offense and it's easy to defend right. is, is what it came across to me. So he's looking at it through the lens of a defensive coordinator, and he sees it as an offense that it's easy to get a bead on, as, as I think he put it after the game to, to David. Um, so I, I, just, I just think he looks at it and says, look, if I was coaching against you guys, you're really easy to game plan for, not just because of whatever talent issues we have, but it, it's – I just, I just think it, normally you, you don't see a coach use the word vanilla. That's reserved for fans. Yes. I mean, I've, Virginia Tech fans have been. It's the lazy way of criticizing an offense. Correct. Right. Yeah. Uh, Virginia Tech fans have used that term since the 1990s. As far as I can remember, everybody's vanilla. Right. Yeah. Um, but now that when a head coach does it, like it's totally different. And then and then he talked about personnel also. And he doesn't think Tech is necessarily using their right personnel in the right situations and putting the guys out there who are most likely to make plays. Right. Because if you do that, then your percentage chance of success goes up. And, you know, he even talked about how maybe Tech should go with some two-back formations so they can get Malachi Thomas and Kishon King on the field at the same time. Um, so we'll see if anything comes of it in the bye week. But uh, that that's the most, like – don't worry. He didn't look angry. Now, he right. never looks angry. Like, he always puts on a positive face and smiles and everything like that. <laughs> yeah, he knows he's going to lose but, a lot of football games, yeah, so he's got to yeah, be even-keeled, yeah, and he does a good job But it's, it's it's really, really – he didn't come out and say, Mike, the offensive coaches need to do this or the offensive coaches aren't doing a good job. But the, just the fact that he said all that stuff – I mean, you don't say that stuff unless you feel like there's an issue, I don't think. Yeah, so so a couple of things as I listen to you talk. Uh, number one, I mean, Brent Pry was a defense coordinator last year. He's used to seeing modern offenses, mm-hmm. and this may sound like an oddball comment, and it's off the top of my head. So hopefully, I'm not. I don't sound like an idiot here. But if if you look at Frank Beamer, Frank was a started out his career, I think, as a defensive coordinator. Yes, got the head job at Murray State. Did that for five years, from like '82 to '87. Became head coach at Tech. He was always a defense first coach. But you fast forward to like the early 2000s and he's got to make a decision who who he wants to be as offensive coordinator. And I talked about the poor scoring this year. Um, If you go back to, I think it was 2008, that team only scored something like 22 points a game. That was a bad offense. Some of those were defensive touchdowns that year too. Right, you know, (laughs) and 
So, but Frank at that point was 20 plus years removed from being a defensive coordinator, really being down in the scheming and game planning as a defensive coach. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not that way with Pry. Like I said, he was a defense coordinator last year. He's seen a lot of modern offenses. And the other thing I wanted to say is we sit here and and talk about personnel. And and the example is um, having Jalen Holston in uh, with about seven or eight minutes left to go to the game and throwing that pass out to him. And part of that's on Grant Wells because one of the things we've learned about Wells, and you didn't learn this from watching his Marshall highlight film where he was just boom, boom, boom. We've now watched him for a a full season, and he struggles with touch. His accuracy is – is come and go, but his touches, he's, he throws the ball hard. He doesn't have a change up. Right. Uh, now, so, see, I agree with you in general on that, not on that play. No, don't let me forget what, okay. what I'm going to say. But uh, <laughs> So you, th- you think he – Yes. I, uh, no, no, there was so much space there. And it's not like it was right. a 10-yard pass and Holston's still back kind of right next to him into the flats. He was up the field. Yeah. He was in the process of transitioning – his flare pass into a kind of a mini wheel route. He yeah. was well up the field. Yeah. You can throw that ball hard there because you want to throw it hard. The problem with Holston's problem is he didn't get his body turned. He should have been heading up field at that point because you got so much space. You catch a, a, a ball with some, with some zip on it right there while you're turned up field. You got a lot of momentum. You're going to turn that into a big play, yeah. maybe even a huge play if you break one tackle. So I think they, I think he did right there. He threw it to where Holston was supposed to be. Like Holston was supposed to be sprinting up the field at that point. At least that's how you're, you should be coached. Like if you're out there running a flare and there's nobody around you and the defense is way off, you turn it up field so you can get more yardage, especially in, in a situation like that. So, so it turns into this commentary of, of why was Holston the guy that was in there on that play when you got running backs who can probably catch that ball better. And I think that's fair in the context of what you just said. That's fair, uh, but I do want to say what we don't know as fans, and, and I'm not I'm not covering for the coaches here. I'm just making what I think is a legit comment. It's easy for us to watch from the stands and think of the players as oh, just put that guy and put that guy. In. We don't know what the health situation of these players is. And in the case of Holston, I can't remember if we talked about this on the last podcast or not. He actually, you know, he got into this Twitter exchange with Mike McDaniel where. Holston DM'd a picture of his foot to Mike McDaniel, and it I don't know what was – he had some huge gash in his heel. <laughs> right. I'm like, how can you even walk, much less play football? Right. So you just have no idea. Maybe he didn't turn his body because he'd have had to step on – You know, I, Well, that's I, correct. But So then why is he in there? Right, <laughs> because Malik Thomas can clearly catch a pass. Heck, he just did it two drives earlier for a touchdown yeah. on a very similar play. I know. And Chance Black is – a wide receiver who has to play running back this year. Uh, Kishon King was banged up and not in the game, so yes. he wasn't available yeah. at that point. But Bryce Duke had just caught a touchdown pass earlier in the year. Like, you've got other guys that have shown the ability to catch the football on that situation. Yeah. So if there is... Who an, don't have giant holes in their heels. It, right, right. So, um, <laughs> you're right, right. And uh, so I... I you can look at it from the from that perspective, and, and you you know the same thing applies to the defensive side of the ball too. Um, we sat here last week and said Mansoor Delane needs to start, and I thought it was pretty clear he's our best cornerback. And I guess Tech just didn't realize that until after the opening drive this past week. 
Um, it was, he, it was he, interesting. I saw a lot of passes caught over Breon Murray on Saturday, but he played 13 snaps, only, only nine in coverage. Only, correct. And, like, and they targeted him three times, three out of three for 66 yards, including the big play on the yeah. first down. They were one of six when targeting Delane. Yeah. One of six. And so what if Miami doesn't score on the first drive? Because you start your best cornerback, Mansoor Delane. And right? maybe he makes the play. So, so it's you can talk about personnel decisions on the defensive side of the ball too. You, I mean, you have to get your guys out there that are most likely going to help you win. Uh, so, like offensively, you know, let's let's assume, you know, everybody's available this come after the bye week. Who are the guys that can help Virginia Tech win? Obviously, Malachi Thomas is one. Obviously, Keshawn King is one. King, I know we got hurt in the second quarter. He didn't touch the ball in the first quarter. He's a guy who's, all right, Malachi Thomas is Virginia Tech's best running back because Sean King is Virginia Tech's best playmaker. And your best playmaker doesn't touch the ball the entire first quarter. And uh, I, I think it, there need to be times where they're on the field together and they, with Daquan Wright and with Caleb Smith, with your four best playmakers on the field at the same time. Uh, just mathematically, that makes your chances of generating a big play go up. Uh, and, and they have to figure out packages and things like that. And, you know, they, they can't do any up-tempo stuff because they don't have the depth to do it because you have to make sure those guys are, are fresh. Yeah. Um, but th- that, that, that generates, I think, the best opportunity for the offense to move the football when you have all of your best players in the game at the same time. So, like, when Daquan Wright's in the game, great. Like, but so should Malachi Thomas should be in there and Caleb Smith should be in there. Right. And, uh, and and again, both those running backs at times, I think, need to be in the game together. And Pry mentioned that himself. You just you have to give the defense more players to defend to deal with. Yeah. And do you think after those comments heading into this bye week, maybe we do see those wholesale changes uh, for the NC State game, less vanilla, more personnel that kind of fits what they were trying to do on the offensive I don't side? want to be cynical, but I do not. We, <laughs> we have been down this path so many times the last 20 so years. It's very, very difficult to change your your core you philosophies, do. what yeah. you do in the middle of the season. Yeah. And people will not like to hear this, but our, probably the best in-season offensive coaching job in Virginia Tech history was 2019 when they changed the offense in the middle of the season. And they went to the smoke and mirrors offense. You know, that they put in Hendon Hooker, so they had a sophomore quarterback. They had three freshmen starting next to each other on the offensive line. They had a true freshman starting in the slot. They had a true freshman, or excuse me, a true sophomore starting at tight end. They had another true sophomore starting wide receiver. They were all freshmen and sophomore. That was such a young offense. They needed X's and O's help from their coaching staff because they just weren't veteran players yet. And they changed the offense in the middle of the season, and, and you know, they were a Hendon Hooker injury away from winning six straight games there once they made that change. Like, yeah, because uh, their only loss was at Notre Dame. Yeah, when, yeah uh, and, and a Caleb Farley injury from beating UVA, too, at the end yeah. of the year. Like, like that team got on a roll. Uh, but that's rare. It's rare. And you saw Buzz Williams change. Buzz, I was going to say Buzz Williams could change he, an he entire changed his, offense he, or defense. He, his defense. He changed his defense in the middle of that season. Entire principles of the defense were changed, which yeah. is you just don't see. So it's happened to Virginia Tech actually twice within the last five or six years, once in, in men's basketball, once in, in football, but it's not something that happens very often to most teams. Yeah. Now, they do have a bye week. That helps, but it's a shorter bye week because the NC State is a, is a Thursday night game. And it's a road game. Right. So yeah. uh, the thing is, like, there's no evidence to draw from, like, 
Joe Rudolph's been an offensive coordinator. Brad Glenn's been an offensive coordinator. But outside of one bowl game, like Tyler Bowen's hasn't been an offensive coordinator at this level. So it's nothing not, like you can't look back at his past and say, oh, here's what they did that year <laughs> when uh, when uh, when they faced some similar difficulties and things like that. So yeah. you're all just guessing. But I, I, I think if you're Pry, this is the, the most important thing Pry can do this week maybe is self-scouting. Yes. Do uh, like, and I think that's uh, more common in off weeks when you have more time yes, to go through a self Absolutely. Session. So he watches the, the seven games of film on the offense and writes up a report for the offensive coaches and says, yeah. here's what I see as a defensive coach. Here's how I would defend you. And, and so fans say things like, oh, there's no talent out there. Oh, foo left the cupboard bare. There is a quarterback who threw for 3,500 yards last year. There is a wide receiver, Jaden Blue, who once caught over 1,000 yards of, of passes in a season. Mm-hmm. Malachi Thomas ran for 100 yards however many games last year. That offensive line, like, there's – There's what, four guys four who played guys at a good back. level last right. year. Um, it's not It's not historically – we haven't scored this many points since 1989. Talent level low, bad. It should not be. It <laughs> yeah. should not be. Uh, you know – Coaching makes all the difference. Uh, ask Garrett Schrader. Uh, Garrett Schrader's completion percentage is up 17% this year. His quarterback rating is up like 70 points. He's already thrown for as many yards this year as he did all of last year. Yeah. And that's with a new offensive coordinator and a new quarterbacks coach, who, by the way, UVA fans Came hated. They, UVA, they didn't think they were good. <laughs> so the offensive coordinator and the quarterbacks coach went from Charlottesville to Syracuse, and Brendan Armstrong has gone like this, Down. and Garrett Schrader's gone like that. Right. So coaching <laughs> makes a difference. Yeah. Like, Garrett Schrader is the same person with the same talent level that he was last year when he was not a good passer. And all of a sudden, he's one of the best passers in the league. He's the same yep. person. Yep. Sa- same talent level. Coaching yeah. is, is insanely important. And you mentioned Brendan Armstrong, too, guy who is supposed to light the league on fire this year in UVA. We'll look at the power rankings later. Not oh. not sitting towards the top in either Chris or David's right. rankings. Uh, we have more to talk about with the offense in the first half, but let's check in with KD for the first time in the fourth chair. Got to start with stat time with Scott Glessner. Um, Will, you covered the first one that he commented in the chat about Virginia Tech averaging under 20 points per game for the first time since 1989. Mind-blowing. But um, following that... Saturday was the seventh time Virginia Tech was held scoreless through three quarters during their scoring streak. Four of those times were by Miami, so apparently we have history with them in that regard. The other three were Auburn, Rutgers, and Wake. Um, And then additionally, the fumble on Virginia Tech's first possession was the first time Virginia Tech started with a turnover on their first offensive possession since 2019, that six-overtime game against UNC. Do either of you remember what the turnover was in that game? I do not. I don't either. Uh, uh, I think it was a fumbled shotgun snap. Who fumbled it? I think it would have been Hooker. He started a quarterback. I think it, or maybe it was a missed exchange between him and the running back. It was something like that. Ryan Willis played, so he, he could have thrown a pick. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, no, well, he did play, but he only played after he, Hooker got hurt. And yes. then didn't come back out after halftime. Right. So. Because he did, well, he, he did throw a touchdown pass. He Tech did. Had to three Damon players throw a touchdown pass. Yep. That yeah. game. Yep. And going back to penalties, we've obviously had our fair share. Miami had their fair share on Saturday with 17. But would you believe me if I said the team with the most penalties in all of FBS is the Crimson Tide currently? Wow. So, so David a, says it was a hooker fumble in that at twenty. Yeah, and I think it was like a he just dropped a shotgun snap. Yeah. So, what's what's up with Alabama? And uh, that's just so upsetting that Alabama is struggling in some area of the game. Well, you know, the first game of the year, I think they had fifteen against Texas A yes. and M. 
Oh my uh, gosh. They, they don't they don't seem to be as disciplined. I didn't watch much of the game the other night, but I did see the point where I guess Tennessee punted and then the Alabama guy just comes running up out of nowhere and tries to field it and <laughs> couldn't field it and Tennessee fumbled and I thought Nick Saban was gonna have a heart attack and I don't he blame was going him. crazy. Like, what are you doing? Like like a twelve year old football player should know better than that. I think the explanation is that he thought it hit the returner's okay. leg. Right. He thought that it was a live ball. Okay, sure. well that but, makes more sense. But no, then. but he should have noticed that like three of his teammates ran past it right. the, right. and didn't touch it. So, Katie, by the way, uh, uh, you asked uh, if we could ask for questions on Twitter. I actually did that, and there's like a bunch of questions. Have I know. I was okay. going through them before. All right, good. Today, Love it. so we'll have we plenty make sure of you questions saw that. during right. that segment later on in the show. Cool. Yeah, Alabama has 66 penalties, good for 131st in FBS, which is crazy. I wonder what Nick Saban's regime is for penalties in a game because it's probably very scary. <laughs> There's a lot of running. The Alabama players should be in good shape by now, right? Is Saban finally going to start to go gray? <laughs> he might from those penalties. <laughs> well, thank you, Katie. We'll check back in with you before the break as well. Uh, we've talked about what the offense struggled with on Saturday. Only 118 yards in the first three quarters, six sacks, 2.6 yards per carry. Uh, some uh, One thing I did want to bring up, only two wide receivers caught a pass on Saturday. If you don't count Daquan Wright as a I wide count receiver, Wright, but. <laughs> uh, but besides that, Caleb Smith and Daywan Lofton were the only two wide receivers to catch a pass for Virginia Tech on Saturday. I did hear Christian Moss's name called. He they, was in the game. Played. Yeah, he played. But they did get it going in that fourth quarter. Uh, Grant Wells got a little involved with his legs on that first touchdown drive. Hit Malachi yeah. Thomas in the flat for a touchdown. By the way, that was a great pass to Thomas. That's that's yep. a difficult pass to throw where the running back is running away from you. And uh, that was a really nice throw. Well, and it seemed like the Hokies might pull off a crazy comeback and and when they scored the second one. Uh, but the big play on that drive, Nick Gallo, who after being really involved against ODU, maybe he's gone a little quieter the last few weeks. He made two big catches after yeah. uh, the penalty backed up the Hokies. The one was fourth down, right? Yeah, yeah fourth and a, nine. That was a tough yeah. catch. Yeah, and, and it was a decisive throw, too. Like, he had a split second to decide to throw it, and, and he did it. Um, Wells completed, what was his completion percentage? Like 63% for the game? It was fairly high. And that's with like five drops, remember? He was 21 for 33. So right around 67%. Yeah, 67%. Okay. So that was with five drops. I think it was five. Wow. I'm just saying wow because I do remember passes where you're like, oh, that wasn't even close. But it wasn't that many. Wasn't that many. Yeah. Um, and you look at that, he were, he were walked in for the touchdown. Hokies had forced punts on five or six possessions in the second half. It felt like Tech might have a shot at it, but uh, Tyler Van Dyke came through in the end. And, and That was a really good call on the read option where he kept it. See, I, w- I do want to address that because I think I'm actually going to write a little bit about that today where that's it, it, really good coaching staffs. I mean, you know, clearly Miami's got some issues. They're, they're barely 500. Mm-hmm. But really good coaching staffs just do that to you, that kind of thing. When they need the play, they make some call, and, and I think it was garbage, just went running down the line chasing the uh, – I would have and, never expected that if I was a defensive player. And it was some sort of formation where um, they had a receiver go and he pulled Stroman away from the offensive line – from the offensive line. I don't remember and that it just, it, I watched it last night. It just opened up that side of, of – Miami's offense, there was no way that right. Tech was going to stop him, even though he's not a running quarterback. <laughs> right. yeah. So they go to that play and they get you with it right. in that moment. Yep. Is there anything from those last two or three drives that you think they can take and, and say, maybe play with some urgency like they did at the end of that game? My my issue uh, 
was a little bit further back when Tech was still down 20 to nothing, and they got the ball on their five-yard line with about 10, 11 minutes left to go. I did not see the urgency there, even though they were down three scores and there was 10 minutes left to go. Yes, I know they were on their five-yard line. They, they ran it up the middle a couple of times to get a little room, but they were snapping the ball with eight seconds on the play clock and 11 seconds on the play clock. At the very least, pick up the pace because you have to score three times in the next 10 minutes. And I wonder if they'd shown a little bit more urgency on that drive, would it have they did a really good job with their timeouts late in the game. They had two or three timeouts. That, that's the one thing I do want to commend them on. They weren't yeah. blowing timeouts mm-hmm. all through the second half. But I, you know, my, my buddy and I were standing there with 10 minutes left to go. And we we're like, what are they doing? They need to pick it up here. So that's one thing that stands out to me. Um, th- they did once in those last two drives. Yeah, they did a good job and Miami helped, man. They like that, that I can't remember if it was in the last two drives, but that hit out of bounds on Grant Wells. That was ridiculous. That wasn't even close. That was just a really dumb play on their part. Yep. Multiple penalties late in that game. Helped the Hokies get back into it again. Could not come through in the end. Last thing I want to hit on here with the offense is the sacks. Six sacks on Grant Wells. And I didn't realize it until after the game when I read David's article. Four of those sacks came in 11 passing plays. So there was just a stretch there. Yeah, I want to say yeah. second, third quarter where the Hokies just could not protect Grant Wells at all. Yeah, and he held the ball some too long. Uh, I think the main issue is there's, there was nobody was getting open down the field. Like yep. uh, I'd, you'd sit there and watch the routes getting run, and uh, when I went back and watched it yesterday, or watched part of it yesterday, and I, I watched and I did see that stretch, and it was just like there's no separation anywhere, yeah. and a lot of the routes were deep, and our receivers aren't going to get open deep. Um, and, oh. and 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 like they they've run Eric Gallo on some like drags, but like Eric Gallo is not a speed tight end. Nick Gallo, Nick, 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 <laughs> Nick, Nick Gallo, one of those Gallos. Uh, he's not a speed tight end. Like, like drag routes for a tight end, you know. You, That's where they're running across the middle of the field, kind of kind of behind everything, right? Okay. And uh, so I don't know. Uh, I I think uh, I do think Pry's gonna have a chat with his offensive coaches this week, and whether that changes anything i don't know i don't know i hope so so this this is interesting um miami had six sacks how many sacks has tech given up for the year total in seven games just i already know it i'm looking at it i'm asking you i'm asking you to guess uh Um, 15 16 16 so they'd only given up 10 sacks in the first six games and then they gave up six including like you said four in, in 11 plays yeah and you wonder if that, I mean, Brent Pry did say, he said it was a combination of pretty much everything that can yes. force a sack. Grandwell's held it too long, protection issues, and Miami's front four obviously is usually pretty talented uh, and got after Grant Wells a little bit. Hokies were able to get back in the game late. Made it, They actually covered. Hokies covered the spread uh, in the very end, but uh, did not come through with the win. Is that like the first or second time this year I think I've... Second, Second time, B- BC, I want So they're, they're, yeah. they're two and five against the spread this year. Yeah, so they came through with that little backdoor cover there. But uh, we'll, we'll talk about the defense a little bit on the second half, which struggled early but made some adjustments and really looked good in the second half and gave the Hokies a chance to get back in this game. But before we get to the break, let's check in with Katie again in the fourth chair. So today's edition of Silver Linings of the Weekend that don't <laughs> include a Virginia Tech win. Um, this segment is a little bit longer than normal, so that's exciting, I guess. 
I know I'm sure David's going to talk about it in the second half, but I would be remiss to not first shout out his sister for making that field goal. And <laughs> I hope that she took you out to a steak dinner after the game with <laughs> that wad of cash. No, I'm kidding. She deserves all the so money. So for people who don't know, fill them in on, on what happened. So was it at halftime or Bet- was it Between just the like third and fourth quarters? It was, it was like the first media timeout in the third quarter. First okay, media yeah. timeout in the third quarter. Yeah, I don't know how she, she got that gig to be the participant to go up and try to kick a field goal for $1,000, but she was there, and I was like, oh, my gosh, that's David's sister. She's a lefty, <laughs> Went too. Went through the uprights. No, a left-footed kicker. Yeah. You never see that. You never see that at all, at least not in football. Uh, no, no, we got to talk her up, man. David, nice, did, David, she did she play it. soccer in high school? You can see it because the plant and the kick and the follow-through, that wasn't luck. She drilled that thing. It was a 20-yard field goal, which doesn't sound like much, but that's it's a hard long that way yeah, yeah. <laughs> for a girl's like 5'5", five, five, you know, yeah, it's, and, and is not a collegiate kicker. She crushed that thing, She man. crushed it, and she was Virginia Tech's leading scorer through the first three quarters. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll talk to David about it uh, and see maybe if she is going to take him out at some point. I mean, 1000 bucks, yeah. He should get something for it. The soccer background must help since Will Ross has a big soccer background before yep. becoming our kicker. And yep. Sarah, of course, that helped her to kick it through the uprights. Um, Virginia Tech women's soccer in a thriller on Thursday night to tie 13th ranked UVA with a score of 3-3. Three to three. That was an amazing game, so I had to shout them out. Baseball took both fall ball games against Radford on Friday, as you'd expect, but some of the new transfers showed some promising things in that game, which is exciting for baseball season coming up. Um, mentioned it earlier, Alabama lost a football game, America wins. So that is a silver lining <laughs> for sure. Um, JMU also lost a football game. Wow. Did they really? <laughs> they really? I totally missed that. Yeah, they lost to Georgia Southern. I think, it, I mean, it went right down to the end, but their first FBS loss, I guess. Hmm. Yep, no longer ranked. Yeah, right yeah. out of the rankings. They had, they had, one, they had one game one or week one week. Top Did a touch and go. <laughs> Did a touch and go. Uh, another another score I'm going to point out is uh, Liberty. Like, uh, all right, so they were one point from beating Wake Forest, right? Mm. Well, earlier this, in the year. Earlier in the year. Well, in their latest game, they were one point from losing to Gardner Webb, who's a two and five FCS team. <laughs> so, like, Liberty's good enough to almost beat Wake Forest, but they're also bad enough to almost lose to, 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 to Gardner, Gardner Webb. Webb. So the, the details on the Tech UVA women's soccer game, uh, Tech led one to nothing at the half, and UVA came out and went boom, 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 and scored three goals, I think, like the first 10 or 15 minutes of the second half. Yep. So it looked pretty grim. And then I don't know when Tech scored their second one, but they scored the tying goal with 39 seconds left. And for those of you that don't know, they don't play overtime or penalty kicks anymore in regular season college soccer games. So that's like a win. Like you'd make the tying goal with 39 yeah, seconds. Yeah, that's left. a big deal. Yeah, yeah. That might be the difference between an NCAA tournament bid and, or, or not. You, and you and I also noticed apparently Thompson field has a pretty nice led lighting oh, yeah. setup because they <laughs> yeah. can flash the lights yeah. and everything. It's and great. Yeah. It's um, going nuts. The other thing I'll point out is softball with another big commit. Over the weekend, yeah, yeah another. So that's, that. it's, the, it's their second. Uh, what's her name? Jalen Jones. Jaden Jones. 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 Yeah. Okay, so um, that's the she's number six in the country. In this yeah. country, and yeah. Virginia Tech already had a commit earlier this year, a couple months or last month, from the number ten ranked player in the yeah. country. Now, now Jaden Jones is the next recruiting class. Oh, she's in next. her she's in her junior year in high school. Okay, twenty twenty four. I thought they were both twenty twenty four commits. Well, maybe, yeah. maybe I don't know about the first one. I think so. Well, I, 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 thought they were I think I saw today that uh, Jaden is it Jaden Jones. Mm-hmm. She has a sister who is the number nine ranked recruit in the next in recruiting her class. class. Uh, <laughs> well, that bodes well. Yeah. So uh, you know, um, get that nil engine cranked up. You know? <laughs> yep. A couple more things: the Tech sideline Twitter account at twenty thousand followers. Oh, so that's yeah. great. Um, and then lastly, 
On a brighter note, Virginia Tech basketball comes in at 21 in preseason Ken Palm rankings, which is their highest ranking since 2012. They play their first game three weeks from today, so get excited. Yeah, yeah. Doubleheader, too. Uh, the women's team yeah. plays uh, three weeks from today, too, so that'll be a fun night in Castle. Wait a minute, like 2012. Who was the coach back then? It been Seth. Seth. So that was that Seth last year? Uh, I think so, yeah. I, I got to look that up. That's interesting. Thank yeah. you. Well, thank you, Katie. Uh, some good silver linings get us feeling good heading into the second half where we'll talk about the defense that struggled early on, came back, and kept the Hokies in the game late. We'll also talk ACC power rankings. David Cunningham is also going to join the set, and we'll we'll talk more about his sister's uh, big feet on Saturday. Uh, all of that coming up uh, in the second big half feet. of episode 264 of the Tech <laughs> Sideline podcast right after this break. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back into episode 264 of the Tech Sideline podcast brought to you by First Bank and Trust Company. We're recapping Virginia Tech's loss to Miami on Saturday inside Lane Stadium. We talked a lot about the offense in the first half. We're going to talk some defense in the second half and also get to our ACC power rankings. A reminder, if you do have a question, make sure to drop it in the YouTube chat. We'll get to those with Chris and David at the end of the show. Speaking of which, we welcome David Cunningham on set, taking over here in the second half. Uh, David? We got to talk about it. We mentioned it while you were off the mic, but uh, how cool was that for you sitting up in the press box and just seeing your sister go out there with the chance to win a thousand bucks? It was really funny. So I get a text from, I get a text from my sister who she's Sarah Cunningham. She's the vice president of Castle Guard. um, And she and her Castle Guard friends were sitting in like the Virginia lottery section, like right next between North, North and East. Um, And, uh, and she texts and goes, can you can you see me in the student section and you know you know with your binoculars? I was like, yeah. And then she texts back like 15 minutes later and goes, I just got selected for the kick for cash thing. I was like, really? I was like, how much money is it? She's like, let's not talk about it. <laughs> and uh, and then my dad texts me and my parents were both at the game. Hmm. And my dad texts me and goes, Did you you know Sarah was selected for the kick for cash? And I go, Yeah, she texted me. Um, and I was like, it is first media time for like first time out in third quarter. Yeah. Okay. So I'm just sitting there and goes to commercial break and I just, I hadn't worked. I took a video and I tweeted it out. Sarah walks out and I mean, I, like she played, she played soccer all throughout high school. She was probably the best athlete in the Cunningham family for being honest. She played field hockey, basketball and soccer and was really, really good at all of them. Um, and but yeah, I knew it was going in and, and she drilled it too. <laughs> yeah. The nice thing was um, some of the staff in the athletic department, Lance Dozier, uh, he went and clipped like on the live cut, yeah. went and clipped the Hokie Vision stuff um, and, and the video and sent it to me. Um, and John Fleming, our photographer, took some really good photos of Sarah and Dave Nakel took some good photos of Sarah too. So really cool memory. And I was kind of hoping that if the game, you know, the game just kept going that way. Like it would have been great if the only person to score for Virginia Tech was my sister. That yeah. would have been- well, I was I was actually already starting the opening sentence of my oh post game yeah. column in my head because at that point I'm like, man, we're about to get shut out. But Sarah Cunningham kicked a field goal. Well, that was my. <laughs> so I use that. Was, that's gonna. I use that as my lead <laughs> yeah. in my story. I was just like, you know, when. Because it was just that bad. And then, of course, Tech comes back, roars back in the fourth quarter when everybody's pretty much gone at that point. And, um, but, yeah. But it was it was a cool moment. And uh, I actually didn't see her on Saturday night. I joked that she was going to buy me, have to buy me dinner. Um, 
I didn't see her on Saturday night. Uh, we went and got breakfast with my family on, on Sunday morning. Um, and she was like, I, I guess the, the money that, because they gave her like cash, but it was fake. Right. Oh, so she's she's Pick, hasn't gotten the actual my, money. Yeah, yet. And my dad was like, "That's probably good because somebody would have mugged you on the way out of the stadium." <laughs> That's what we're, we I was talking about. That I'm like, "Do they actually give you cash?" Because I no, think you need to leave the stadium immediately. She said it were like fake hundred dollar bills and, <laughs> and stuff. But yeah, she's she's like, "Yeah, I don't know how they're gonna send me the money, but oh well." So there you go, thousand dollars. <laughs> That's awesome. And uh, again, at that point. It was there the was highlight a, of the day. There was a point. little worry the scoring streak was going to end at that point. Yeah. So at least somebody knocked one through the uprights and, and yeah. got Virginia Tech on the board, uh, <laughs> so to say. So very cool there. Uh, the defense only gave up a field goal in the second half as well for Virginia Tech after giving up 17 points on the first four drives of the game. Uh, really good adjustments from Brent Pride and the coaching staff to slow down that Miami offense that kind of looked like early in the first half, they were going to run rough shot through the Hokies defense the whole day. Uh, you know, putting Mansour Delane in the game helped. Uh, <laughs> it always helps when you have a cornerback who, when they throw at you six times, they only complete one of them. Yeah. So that means you've shut down one side of their field and it just gives them less space to work. In. And on 42 yeah. coverage snaps too. Yeah. It was yeah. just, uh, just an overall really good day for him. And I think putting him in the game really helped tech's defense. I thought Miami played some really sick plays in that game too. Like, uh, that catch they Will Mallory like made over, oh, good over, sick. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yes, exactly. That was, good <laughs> sick. That was, uh, uh, the, the catch, really good play. The catch Will Mallory made over the middle over Dax was just an NFL play. Yeah. And again, the throw over Dax in the back of the end zone to the wide receiver. Perfect. Like Dax, shouldn't be criticized because he had perfect coverage on both those plays. And he shouldn't be asked to defend a wide receiver out there <laughs> anyway. Um, but I think the most impressive thing about, to me, about the, the tech defensive performance was the fact that they hung in there. That would have been a game where they could easily just packed it in and because the yeah, offense We've seen that scoring. so many times this year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you see it where, like, all right, the offense isn't going to score, so you mentally let down. Yeah. Right? And, and and it's natural. It's natural for, for people to do that. and. They didn't do it on Saturday. Uh, they did get some help, of course, from Miami's penalties. But, you know, they, they still, I thought they, they played a, a mentally stronger game than they had the last few weeks. Yeah, and I thought, I mean, Miami had six or seven, I think, possessions in the second half, and they punted on every single one except for the one that they had a field goal on. And and uh, I think it kind of just goes to show that defensive effort like you said, the second half adjustments were made. Um, I don't have the actual numbers in front of me in terms of how many yards Virginia Tech allowed in the second half or the first is the first, but it was a much better defensive performance. And like Chris said, they could have easily just said, you know, okay, whatever, you know, but but they kind of they, – they got to Tyler Van Dyke a little bit. They kind of rattled him, made him punt a handful of times. Um, and most of all, they, they made – you know, gave Virginia Tech the offense a chance to win. And unfortunately, you know, didn't come to fruition. But when your defense can continue to hang around, it's kind of like the same thing as, I guess it's a little similar to the pit game where the defense kind of gotten torched a little bit. And then a little bit, <laughs> well, in the first half, uh, I got torched for the game, yeah. but, but the defense gave up a ton of points and techs down two or three scores. And then, Keontae Jenkins gets a pick, and Tech starts to make some plays, scores an offensive touchdown, scores a special teams touchdown, and it's a little bit of complimentary football. Um, but, yeah, I mean, 
it, it, it felt like a stalemate at that point because it was like Miami's up 20 and Virginia Tech can't do anything offensively. But the defense is is holding its own. So, now, you know, we're a little bit fortunate. So Miami was missing their starting running back. Yes, they were missing a starting wide receiver. They were missing. They a, were missing a their handful starting of right guard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so like, it wasn't. We didn't exactly get Miami's best shot because they were missing so many key players. But it was a step in the right direction. I think. And even missing a few players a week after you give up 320 yards and six touchdowns to a running back, they held Miami to 3.8 yards per carry, and no player had more than 27 yards on the ground. So, which, get, so getting Tisdale back helped. Yes, like there were no and, like and I don't know if giant, you saw he, he the first first snap of the game defensively. He made tackle. Right. Like, and he, Tisdale's name was called yeah. all day. Yeah. Like, you know, he wasn't, it wasn't like some dominant performance or anything like that, but no. it was solid. And, and he provides solid might have won the pit game. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because that was the game where Tech's offense actually halfway showed up and they got a special teams touchdown. Uh, so it's good to have him back. I think he, he stabilizes some things defensively for Virginia Tech. So if you think about it, like Virginia Tech did play better defense against Miami than they had. It's because they upgraded their personnel at cornerback and at linebacker. So, uh, so theoretically, on paper, Tech's defense is going to improve down yep. the stretch because they just upgraded their personnel at two positions. Something I wanted to mention, too, uh, maybe we call this the redshirting section of the podcast. Sweet. Uh, Cam Johnson played again. Uh, I know. Had I some struggles. <laughs> That's only game number two for him. Yeah. So he still has two more. But thoughts on that, Cam Johnson getting in there and, and now halfway through his four games. Uh, I, I, w- I wish... I wish they didn't consider it necessary. Um, hopefully, Dorian Strong injury heals as quickly as possible. So, <laughs> you get Dorian Strong back, man, and you start him in one cornerback spot, and you get start Mansoor Delane at the other. That's a very good yeah. combination. Well, of and, and then you have Armani Chapman is your third. Is your third, is your third and he's exactly. serv- you know, right, right. above serviceable. So you definitely redshirt Cam Johnson. Then yeah. I would redshirt him anyway. He's just too small. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the tough part is that. The cornerback depth is so thin right now. It and, is. And I don't know. Um, I don't know if you have the stats or the participation up. I don't know if uh, Devin Alves played. At I don't all. think he did. I don't think he did, but that's somebody prize mentioned. Like right. Do- Delane, Johnson, Alves, those three right. freshmen, it's kind of like we're going to need him to play some. And obviously, Delane has earned his reps. And But. Well, the, now, other, the other two guys you need to redshirt. But the problem is that Tech doesn't have a, a ton of depth at, at well, that cornerback. DJ Harvey's back now. And that is true. Uh, DJ and, Harvey and, did and, not play he, against Pitt. He had to play nickel the other day because he was going to play some anyway. We saw him practice in yeah. there. Or I saw him practice in there last week. Um, but he had to play more. Now, if he's back to a normal cornerback role this week, then that gives you more depth at corner, gives you a better opportunity to redshirt Cam Johnson. Yeah. So uh, I just hope Dorian Strong can come back at some point. Yeah. But it's it's hard to play cornerback with a cast on your hand. <laughs> like I, I've never worn a cast. I've never broken a bone. Knock on wood. Really? Never have. Uh, so that, uh, happened a couple of times. Yeah. Uh, so I, I haven't either. I don't. How much? How much would like a big hand cast like that weigh? Um, Any idea? I don't know. Not a lot. I mean, I've. I've broken like I broke my thumb yeah. once and it was during basketball season and I had um I had a cast for a little bit and I had like a splint and even like like playing in a splint mm-hmm. can can be hard when you're trying to catch something oh yeah. sure so no doubt. so yeah I, I don't in terms of like heaviness I don't think like because I um 
you see people all the time, especially in soccer um, and in like the, the, the youth leagues or travel leagues or even like high school where like kids would have like a broken wrist mm-hmm. or broken hand or something and they're in a cast and they just put like bubble wrap around it. That way they're not slinging yeah. it around. I don't know if they'd let him play with a cast on. You know what I mean? You, well, see, you, you see seen, linemen do it. Yeah, in the NFL, see, that's like true. Jason Pierre-Paul had his yeah. club for like three years. That's true. Uh, yeah, but I feel like it's m- – in soccer, you're not using your, your hands, exactly. obviously. Yes. Yeah. It, as a cornerback – You're using that, your hands. <laughs> that's going to be really I, different. Yeah. I think it would be tough at cornerback. Yeah, much tougher. Yeah. Much tougher. But because of that, it, I think it's like – it, it was good to see DJ Harvey back because he did not play against Pitt. Um, but yeah, the, the the rotation right now it's a little. I think they're they're still trying to again, like probably said, figure out the personnel and figure out what guys you can use. And I think they're starting to figure out that Delane is the guy. Like Delane's going to be the future of that cornerback room, probably with Cam Johnson. But you got to redshirt Johnson. I mean, there's yeah. no like you can play him four games, and I think. Prize made that point clear. Like we want to play as many guys four games as we can to get them that reps, those reps. But that's a guy. I mean, he weighs what 165, 175, 160. Yeah, 160. That's that's how much as I weigh. So uh, I mean, it's you, you shouldn't be playing cornerback at the FBS level if you're smaller than me, right? So uh, it, it's just yeah. sh- shouldn't happen. And and he'll get bigger. He can get bigger. I think he's a good prospect. He's just he's just got to get bigger. I agree. And. It's, it's it bothers me though that like he needs to be heavy lifting right now, yeah, heavy lifting right now. Yeah. But if if you're if doing you, the big, if you the, might if the you big might squat if, Friday, if, big squat right. Friday. But if if you're playing in a football game or at least standing on the sideline in a football game on Saturday and you, you might get into the game, then you can't do that big squat Friday. Yeah, I mean if it, like a good heavy leg day is going to take you out for a day or two. And again, you won't be able to do any physical activities after that. So that's that's what he really needs more than anything right now. We saw Daquan Wright played his third. He, they're burning his red shirt at all. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the yeah. way that he's been involved. No, I mean, um, because like Chris has said, I think like you guys talked about this earlier, like Gallo's been Gallo's been fine. Yeah. Julius yeah. and Blumrick have kind of been non-existent. Daquan Wright is, outside of Caleb Smith, Receiving wise, you're your other best option. I want to say twelve catches in his three games he's played. Yeah, yeah, and if his snaps have to come at the expense of uh, even a guy like Jaden Blue, Jayden Blue, yeah, I mean Blue has eight catches in in seven, seven games. games. Daquan Wright has twelve catches in three games. I mean, do the math. Yeah, right. And um, he did have that one, the the fumble, obviously. Yes, right. But at least he did something. He like yeah, he, he had twenty seven and then he had, had yards after he had the a twenty seven yard gain before that. Right. Yes, yeah, exactly. So like, it ha- look, I, physical mistakes are going to happen. Yeah, like you can't really get, get. Sometimes players are going to fumble. It's going to happen. But uh, he he gives Virginia Tech their best chance to move the football when he's on the field. Uh, Forty of his fifty nine offensive snaps have come at wide receiver this year. Most of them in the slot, but a few out wide as well. Well, Tech has a little bit of extra time to move on from this one. Thursday of next week against NC State, Hokies trying to avoid a five-game losing streak would be their first since 1992. Uh, Any final thoughts on Miami before we jump into ACC power rankings? Yeah, um, I think it's the first time since 1992, I believe, that Virginia Tech is three games below 500. Wow. Wow. (laughs) <laughs> that's all I got. I believe I, that's what uh, Andy Bitter and I were discussing in the press box after the game on Saturday, which kind of just puts it in perspective. That's, that sounds about right. But as I wrote or as I tweeted it after the end of the game, this is like the fourth 
I think it's the fourth three. It's what three game losing streak now? Four four game losing four streak. Game. Four game I think it's the it's a third four game losing streak in five in my, years. I think the last five years. It just never happened. I remember, it never happened in I'm Beamer's not, final twenty three years. When I was in college uh, in two thousand two, we lost three games in a row, and that was like, oh my god, the world was about to end. <laughs> you know, and then we played UVA and beat them, and that solved all the issues. This is my fifth uh, football season in college, and it's happened. So three every times. year, Jake Lyman's <laughs> been in college. Virginia Tech has had a th- three game losing streak. Has at least a three game losing and three fours. So yeah. What are you gonna do? Uh, let's check in with Katie in the Send fourth Jake chair. To Nashville. Yeah, I yep. had one more thing about the Miami game. What about the targeting on the Sierra Peoples that I did not mm. think was targeting? You know, I, I think, I think technically by the book, when when you go in low on, did they, did they count him as a defenseless player? I think it's probably what they were can, saying. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I think I think it's one of those things that that technically by the book it's targeting, but at the same time. I think you need to exercise some discretion there and not throw your flag. But these days, they're basically thrown to, if there's any doubt, throw your flag. And then it sends up to the replay official, and the replay official is... Trying to find video evidence to overturn it. He's Right. And and he's like, I really can't because here's my rule book right here, and technically that's a target, right? It's a tough break, though, because, I mean, I don't see how any... I mean, you're trained to be aggressive as a football player, and, and, and you're going into that tackle and... Like, yeah, he's technically defenseless, but yeah. I don't know. I just didn't like it. It was tough. I will say, the and you guys mentioned earlier, the late hit out of bounds. Yeah. I, I was sitting in the press box going, there's no way they overturned this. <laughs> and and that, that was the one, like, of, of the two penalties, the, the late hit was the one where I was like, okay, that was more <laughs> of a penalty than, than the targeting. Targeting is just a rule that I'll never understand because then it's like later in the day I'm watching other games and things that look like obvious targeting don't get called, yet the Nasir people's hit I didn't think was targeting it. It got called for targeting, so you can never win. Um, One more thing I wanted to mention before we get into the ACC power rankings that kind of goes along with that. Virginia Tech has a bye week this week. Thank goodness. NC State also has a bye week this week, which is good for them because they'll have more time to adjust to a new offense with a new quarterback under center, which raises my question. Is NC State the most, I guess, what was I going to say? The most unlucky team in all of college athletics, given their past with Hmm. scenarios like this. I wrote a couple of them down. Just, I mean, Devin Leary was their ACC preseason player of the year. Um, he goes out with an injury. Women's basketball having to travel to UConn last year when they were the oh, one seed. Gosh. Baseball having to pull out of the World Series. <laughs> oh, man. Football having the Holiday Bowl canceled just hours before. That's right. Just hours before it's the game. wild, the it's things that have been, happened to them. Yeah, that's it's, it's a roller coaster for them. Um, I do feel bad for NC State. I, I never really met the NC State fans that I don't like. Yeah. You know, uh, I think they're, you know, similar schools, similar type people. Um it's a shame because, you know, they've got a good football team this year. And, and Leary hasn't been himself, so I think he's actually been hurt all year. And I think it's gotten to the point where he can't take the pain anymore. They finally just decided just, just to shut him down, which I hate it for him. I hate it for them. It makes that game more winnable now for Virginia Tech. But at the same time, you're going to have to score. <laughs> that seems to be a problem. Yeah, that seems to be a problem. Like, like, NC State could go out there and score 17 points and have a bad offensive game and still probably beat Virginia Tech. Yeah. I think uh, it's kind of crazy. I do f- I do feel bad for NC State um, and Devin Leary. I had him as my ACC preseason, preseason player of the year when I voted. Um, but it's kind of crazy how 
Now Leary's out for the year. You guys talked about Brennan Armstrong and Garrett Schrader. Schrader's improved. Armstrong's gone yeah. down. And yet, uh, I, I think outside of Sam Hartman, the best quarterback in the ACC is Drake UNC Man. true freshman Drake May, who, oh let me read you this stat from, from David Hale uh, of ESPN earlier. Drake May has thrown for 280-plus yards and two touchdowns in all seven games. Since 2004, no other ACC quarterback has done that in any seven-game stretch, and no true or redshirt freshman has done it at any school at the FBS level. In the playoff era, only five other quarterbacks have longer streaks. One of them, Heisman quarterback winner Baker Mayfield. Um, I got two guys I don't know, uh, Will Greer and Gardner Minshew. So just kind of goes to show you that even though UNC was hanging around with a tough in a tough one with, with Duke, Drake May is going to be a problem for years to come. Well, yes. he won that football game for him at the end, yeah. you know? Um, so, uh, yeah, he's, well, he's going to be a problem for one more year. And then, he's yeah, true. and then he will be the yeah. problem for NFL. Do we play them next year? No, nope. no. Nope. So he's not going to be a problem for us at all. <laughs> so we're, we're fine. All right. Well, thank you, Katie. Let's dive into our ACC power rankings. Perfect transition there. Uh, you guys are very similar. And obviously there, <laughs> there wasn't a lot to go off of this week. Right. Uh, looking at last week's power rankings, they're somewhat similar to this week's with only four games. Miami beating Virginia Tech. Syracuse beating NC State 24-9. Clemson won 34-28 over Florida State. And UNC, like you just mentioned, Drake May got them to a three-point win over Duke. Uh, let's start at the top again this week because you guys have the same top eight. And uh, <laughs> if you're watching on YouTube, there should be on screen. But we'll go through it for you. At the top, no surprise, the number five Clemson Tigers. It seems they're going to be number one until somebody... Knocks so off somebody throw. knocks them off. I'm, I'm excited for that game with Syracuse this week. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's normally a good game. Noon uh, in Clemson. So Tigers and the Orange. Orange are third for both of you with uh, Wake Forest sandwiched in between in the two spot there. Wake didn't play this week, but still they didn't really do anything to lose the that team number that two spot. The was closest to beating, to beating Clemson. Clemson. Isn't it going to be number two? <laughs> right. Correct. So maybe the Orange, if they even make it close on Saturday, uh, can move up into that two spot. And now you guys have UNC in the four spot, 3-0 and in the ACC. It seems like they're kind of running away as the favorite for the Coastal this well, season. Well, you know, f- Florida State keeps losing. And NC State, and NC State lost, lost, lost. And then they lost their lost quarterback. Their quarterback. Yeah. Like, I still, like... Like, I, I, if they had their quarterback, if if they had a healthy Devin Leary, I think NC State's better than UNC. Yeah. That's not the case now. Yeah. Well, we see, I think this is the first time since we started doing these three, four weeks ago that a coastal team has cracked the top five um, yeah. in either of your rankings. Actually, no, no, no Chris no, we, had, Well, we would have had North Carolina. Well, Chris had North Carolina there last week at five. Did I? Uh, yeah. You did not. You had them at six last week. So, I. Mm. Uh, Top, first time a uh, coastal team has been in the top four. Yes. Uh, it's been pretty much all Atlantic at the top. It stays that way, five and six for both of you. Wolfpack at five. Florida State at six. Did keep it close with Clemson uh, on Saturday night. Uh, and then Pitt sitting at seven for you guys coming off the bye week. Yeah. Miami didn't get too much of a bump from either of you guys with the win over Virginia Tech. I think the biggest takeaway from my game on Saturday was Miami is not good. <laughs> like, 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 that's the same thing, like, but the pit game, like they, they, Pitt's not as like Pitt, Pitt, Miami, they aren't really good. The only thing that impressed me from the North Carolina game was that Drake May is good. <laughs> right, <laughs> like it's true. <laughs> we're we're finding a lot about the out a lot about the rest of the coastal division and how 
mediocre. Think think about this. Virginia Tech is one and three in the ACC, and we play in the Coastal Division. (laughs) Now, our one win came in in the the Atlantic, Atlantic of course, but that's Boston College is not a normal Atlantic Division team. Like, imagine if we were playing Clemson and Wake Forest and Syracuse (laughs) and NC. Well, we do play NC State, Florida State. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Canes move up to eight for Chris from nine. Stay put at eight for David. Uh, nine and ten. This is where we get our first change for you guys. Uh, Chris, you like Duke a little better than Georgia Tech. David, the opposite. You have the Yellow Jackets ninth, the Blue Devils tenth. Ah, uh, yeah. I could go either way. Um, I, I guess the fact that I think the fact that uh, Duke played UNC so close. Is, is the is what makes me put them there. Like, I actually thought UNC would win that game by a couple touchdowns, but when, if you go back and watch it, like, arguably Duke should have won the football game. Yeah. So I don't. I guess there's not too much difference between actually Duke and UNC. So that that's why I've, I've got Duke a little bit higher than, than Georgia Tech. Yeah, I put Georgia Tech there. Georgia Tech didn't play this week. Yeah. And the fact that Georgia Tech has won – after firing its head coach two in a row twice. and maybe three in a row because they play UVA and they play Thursday. Virginia at home on a Thursday night too. Maybe I don't know what the atmosphere is going to be like for that, but you'd think it'd be decent. One of the few night games for Georgia Tech. But uh, I don't know. Define decent. <laughs> uh, moving on down with Chris, you did not make any changes to your 11 through 14 from last week. You have no. Louisville, Virginia Tech, Boston College, and Virginia. Well, Louisville didn't play, right? They did not. Okay, so they were off. So were Boston College and Virginia. That's right, so I didn't change them. And Virginia Tech, like... Didn't do enough to move up. It didn't do enough to move down. Exactly. Exactly right. Like, I couldn't move them down because if I'd moved them down, I would have had to move them below Boston College, who they already smoked, and then UVA, who, God, they're horrible. I just can't do it. Well, that brings me into my question for David here. You you have Louisville 11, uh, but what did Virginia do in their bye week to move up from 14 to 12? I'm realizing that now. Well, to be fair, I did not look at my last week power rankings. You, I, okay, so you just went and out. And I did them, and I was like... Yeah, we'll put Boston College sucks. We'll put Boston College 14th. And I was like, yeah, Virginia's probably better than Virginia Tech right now. And now I'm looking at my last week's power (laughs) rankings, and I had Tech, Boston College, Virginia. Um, It's all all, what have you done for me lately, and UVA didn't lose this weekend. They didn't didn't lose. There you go. They managed to not lose. Boston College uh, didn't play, but probably lost this week anyway. Man, yeah, they're bad. Well, there you go. There are this week's edition of the ACC Power Rankings. Uh, again, Chris and David in lockstep in the top eight, uh, and then a little bit of uh, difference towards that bottom half. But it's going to be interesting. Clemson and Syracuse, uh, maybe if the Orange pull off the upset, we see Syracuse with the number one next to their name come If they beat Clemson, yes, we will be in late October, and Syracuse will be number one in my Power Rankings. The best team in the ACC. <laughs> Uh, Giovanni Heater is in studio, and I'm sure he's loving hearing that right now. Keep it up, guys. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's wrap things up with some questions from the YouTube chat. Anything good over there, Katie? Yeah, I really like this question from Alex Kibler in the YouTube chat. If Tech is able to start playing full games the way they played in the fourth quarter, how many of their remaining games would you pick them in? Uh, I think they would all be winnable. But here's the thing, like start, start, start. You could score 14 points per quarter. Oh, that would be great. That would be great. I'd pick up to win all of them. Yeah. Um, I'd pick Tech to probably win three. I think so. The, I, the I, remaining I, schedule, for those of you who don't know, it's NC State, State, Georgia Tech, Duke, Liberty, Virginia. I'd pick Tech to beat everybody but NC State and Duke. Yeah, but here's the thing. Like, 
they haven't done that all year. Like, yeah. So then they've done it. They've had like one good quarter. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was just going on. Uh, Katie's telling Since me that they're going game? to score fourteen points a quarter. Oh well, oh, if, you t- if they're still going to score fourteen points I mean, per quarter yeah. for the rest of the season, I'm going to pick them to win all their games. Yeah, that's but yeah, that's not going to happen. Not, Fifty-six points a game. Right. Given right. That was against the Miami defense, who was probably tired at the end of the game. Too. And and the Miami defense that like once the crowd left just wasn't fired up anymore. Miami yeah. needs a crowd apparently to to play well. Yeah. Uh. So. Yeah, it's just, I mean, tech is what they are. Like, there, there's a reason, like, their record is what it is. And it's not going to, like, magically turn around on a dime, I don't think. I hope it does. Hokies need to win four out of five to become bowl eligible, uh, which, again, may be possible with some of those games rest, left on their schedule. But uh, looking dimmer <laughs> by the looking to Jake. Well, uh, there are winnable games on that schedule. <laughs> They're very winnable games on that schedule. <laughs> but it's like, would we rather go to the military bowl than just not go to a bowl? I don't probably want to go not. To the military bowl. Like, I think the I, mean, I don't I think, think we're going to have to worry about it. I would say I, the I, biggest thing from from being able to go to a bowl game is those extra practices. Extra practices. Yeah. yeah. Um, that, that which can be important if your players take them seriously. Correct. Sometimes yeah. your players take them seriously, and sometimes they don't. The extra practices are important, but I think this off season is going to be largely affected by the players that we get in the portal. So yeah. agreed. It's true. It's we have Twitter true. questions, don't we? Yeah, I was about to yes. say any good ones on Twitter as well. Yep, from Charleston Hokey on Twitter. Speaking of the offense, what changed forty five minutes into the game to give the <laughs> offense life and score those late two touchdowns? You're not gonna hear me say like hearing me say this, but I think the bigger part is Miami didn't play as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the second touchdown drive, they basically gave Tech half the field. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was penalties. Gonna, that's yeah. going to say, too. Miami committed a lot of penalties. Yeah. I mean, there was, well, it was, uh, there was a face face mask, or there was an, a 15 yarder. It was, uns- uh, it was either uh, unsportsmanlike or roughing the passer. It was a late hit on Grand yeah, Wells. Yeah, you, you had a holding and a pass interference yeah. in there. There were like, yeah. there were at least two penalties on that first touchdown drive. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think. And one of them, like, when Wells scrambled and got hit late. That was going to be fourth down, yeah. right? I, I, yes. I, I mean, honestly, I'm. I kind of asked that question to. I think I asked it to Caleb Smith after the game, and Caleb just looked at me and was like, "We executed better." And it's like, I think part of the reason why Tech executed better, to be honest, like Miami didn't play as well, and yeah. and I I don't think. I don't. I don't think Tech did that much different. They did make a few plays at the end there. I mean, the Gallo play. Uh, the Gallo like, play, I think, was was a solid play to pick up fourth down. And and to be fair, like if Tech didn't get that on on that Nick Miami's Gallo fourth down knees. conversion, Miami's running out of the clock and Tech doesn't cover and Tech scores seven points. So we'll do one more question from Glenn Parker. Price said Tech needs to put the right players in the right position to win. Question for Chris: What players would he add or move around on offense and defense to give Tech a better chance to win? Uh, you know, Daquan writes generally in the eighteen to twenty-three snaps per game mark right now. He needs to be thirty-plus, in my opinion. He needs to be on the field with Caleb Smith, and I would do some stuff with Malachi Thomas and Kishon King both on the field at the same time. And you have, to, and if you have to play third running back, uh, it's Bryce Duke. Bryce Duke. Um, yeah, I mean, you. Had, I mean, he sat there this past game and just watched kickoffs fly over his head i mean that doesn't help you develop as a player yeah right um so you have to justify not not 
blowing his red shirt at this point. Plus, I think he has a higher ceiling as a running back as those other guys. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I would play two running backs and whatever leftover carries would, would go to Duke. Um, if I have to take snaps away from people, like if you want to play Daquan Wright mostly in the slot, then, you know, they, they come away from Jaden Blue because he's just been a much more uh, – Wright's just been a much more productive player this year. Um, but then you get into the, the whole thing of it just being such an imbalanced wide receiver roster. So Caleb Smith's an outside receiver. So who do you play at the other outside receiver spot? And we right? haven't seen much of Christian, Christian Moss. And I think we well, kind of had – He got 20 snaps or so this past week, but yeah. just didn't do anything. Um, so I, I, I would those four guys I just named – need to be in there as much as possible. And I think that maximizes your potential to make big plays. All right. Well, thank you, Katie. Some good questions from YouTube and Twitter today. And that'll wrap things up here on episode 264 of the Tech Sideline podcast. But before we get out of here, Dave and Chris, uh, bye week, uh, but basketball getting closer. What's yeah. coming up on techsideline.com? Well, you know, of course, we'll have Mutz in here tomorrow on the podcast. Yep. And uh, I'll be writing a basketball column later this week. I don't know exactly what what uh point that will be no game preview thank goodness i'm kind of getting tired of of those because you have to write that long article and then pick tech to lose at the end. <laughs> um uh friday q a you know i haven't totally planned it out yet uh what do you got yeah i don't i think we haven't really planned it out yet i posted uh chris hirons this i posted it uh, right before we came on the podcast uh, he wrote a story on baseball and what happened at the fall ball game on Friday. Um, some good stuff, interesting interesting things about uh, the young guys and the transfers. Um, tomorrow, uh, the ACC preseason basketball awards and preseason poll and everything come out. I submitted my vote last night. Um, I think I picked Tech sixth. Um, that will come out sometime tomorrow, so we'll have something on that. Um, in terms of football press conferences stuff this week, the only thing uh, is probably going to do some stuff on Wednesday. No normal press conference. It'll just be a post-practice thing, um, as far as I'm aware. Um, and well, I think we'll have some basketball stuff. I've got a feature, I think, that's in the works. So it's nice to have a break from football <laughs> for, for a week. Yes, and, it is. And uh, get ready for basketball season, which, as Gio noted earlier, Three weeks from today, Virginia Tech men's and women's basketball tip off their seasons. Yep. Double header inside Castle Coliseum. Looking forward to that. Looking forward to all the great content coming up this week. Again, bye week, but still a lot to look forward to, especially that Mutz podcast. Can't wait to listen to that one. That'll wrap things up here on episode 264 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. Want to thank you all for tuning in. Thank everybody on set. In the first half, we had Will Stewart, founder and general manager of Tech Sideline on. He, you can find him at Will Stewart TSL on Twitter. Across the way, David Cunningham, managing editor for Tech Sideline at The Real D Cunna on Twitter. To my right, Chris Coleman lead analyst and columnist for Tech Sideline. He's at Chris Coleman TSL on Twitter. In the fourth chair, Katie Adams did another great job. She'll be back to preview NC State next week. Uh, we No preview podcast, obviously, this week, so I would say Monday or Tuesday will probably be our preview for NC State. You can find her at Katie6Adams on Twitter. Behind the scenes, Carter Hill and his first solo show as the producer did a great job. Giovanni Heater helping him out as well. And I'm Jake Lyman, your host, signing off here on episode 264 of the Tech Sideline podcast. Have a great Hokies week Hokies fans we'll see you next time